Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Uh, Episode number 356, recorded January 9th, 2022. Today we're covering the novel, not comic book, Star Trek Coda Book 2, The Ashes of Tomorrow, which came out October of 2021, so just a few months old. Yes, very cool. And this one's by James Swallow. Right. So we've got uh, three different novelists doing each of the three Coda books. And James Swallow, who I have a feeling might be English. I don't know for sure. He's the one that wrote today's. He's definitely English. Okay. And he's written quite a few of the other Star Trek books. Yes, yes. He, all three of the authors are veterans of writing many of the uh, Expanded Universe Star Trek books. Right. So the most recent thing I've read of his was that he wrote the Dark Vale Picard novel, which was all mm-hmm. about Riker and yep. Troy the, uh, and... and the android planet and all that right. stuff. Right. I like that one. Yeah, really good. Yeah, that was quite good. I, I was really, for whatever reason, it just totally took me by surprise that one of the races that are very heavily involved in that particular book. Oh, I guess that would be a spoiler. <laughs> anyway. There's a twist with them, and I was very, it just totally took me by surprise. Although, right. you know, and then looking back at it, it's like it shouldn't have, but it did. Right. Yeah, one of the things I like so much about that book was, you know, it is set in the Picard universe, mm-hmm. which I guess is now the, the Prime universe. Mm-hmm. And yet it still did kind of reference some of the other Titan books, which James Swallow mm-hmm. wrote. Oh, which was that, he wrote uh, some of the ti- other Titan yeah. books? Oh, yeah, he wrote quite a few of the Titan oh, books. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, uh, he, you know, in the Dark Vale, they do talk about Titan being the ship that was supposed to be all races and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so not that many humans and an awful lot of aliens. Right, right. In the group. Cool. Right. So now that it's mentioned here in the Picard novel, that's canon. <laughs> At least that part of it. Right. Uh, another interesting writing credit he has is the 2000 video game Star Trek The Next Generation Invasion, which I really liked at the time. Okay, so he wrote the story that went along with the game. Or that and was all the, the dialogue of the game. and things like that. Because oh. in that one, it's uh, Worf, which is played by... Michael Dorn, mm-hmm. and he's training a group of uh, starship pilots. So basically, the Federation has gone in on the uh, individual uh, fighting. Oh, yeah. Thing. Okay. Uh, but in all the missions and stuff, like in the little debriefings and stuff, a lot of times Patrick Stewart would show up and tell you what you needed to do. So it's kind of cool that this, this guy wrote that stuff. Well, I did not remember. Okay, I, be- I began playing that one. Because I remember having a lot of problems with the controls of these uh, Federation fighters. And I remember Worf being like the commander who's in charge of the squadron wing or, or whatever. Right. 
but I did not remember the name of it was Invasion. Okay, I didn't get that far yeah. <laughs> with it, but... Right. I really liked it at the time, and it was kind of a reskinned game based on Colony Wars. That was oh. the name of the uh, the game that that company did first. Okay. And it was basically a little Starfighter game, and so basically mm-hmm. they just took that engine, gave it the Star Trek coat of paint, mm-hmm. and re- re-released it. You know, it's a different game, but a lot of the mechanics were the same, and, mm-hmm. you know, hard. I've never beaten it, but uh, it was fun. Cool. Okay. So anyways, just looking through his uh, bibliography, it was kind of cool to see that. Like, hey, I remember that game. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. So shall we go into our synopsis? Yes, let's do that. So as everybody knows, this is book two, right? So last last episode we did book one. And basically what it boils down to is all the other mirror universes, all the other alternate dimensions are being whittled away by the Davidians as they eat off of the fear and emotions of the destroyed timelines, I guess. Right, the the people that live in those timelines and their emotional energy or whatever. Right. And of course, and, the, the Davidians are from Time Zero, TNG episode. Yeah, if you haven't, if, you, if somehow you got to this episode, 356, before <laughs> listening to 355, you may want to go back to that one. Right. Because there's an awful lot of things going on in that first book that tee this book up. And we're not going to repeat ourselves too much. Or at least we're going to try not to. Yeah, exactly. And just a reminder, this is the three-book trilogy that's basically resetting the Star Trek novel universe. So that going forward, it will follow the same pathway as what's going on in the Paramount Plus universe with Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically a big retcon event, but uh, it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like the authors say in the afterwards, and I do like the afterwards because it's just giving you all this behind-the-scenes info, a lot of inside baseball stuff. With the actual video productions cooling it for a long time after um, Enterprise and and that kind of stuff closed up shop, the novels just were able to run wild, which was pretty cool. Now that Paramount is gearing up again, the video productions take precedence. So. Right. Yep. There you go. Yep. Unfortunately, same thing happened with Star Wars. So in between Turn of the Jedi, Episode One, the novels and stuff kept the Star Wars flame going. They had to do some retconning with the prequels, but for the most part, they were able to keep all the book continuity. And then from the prequels to Episode Seven, same thing. Books kept everything alive, and mm-hmm. then Disney buys them out, and they were like reset so at least at least uh paramount and simon and schuster they're at least giving it a closure right and what i love about it is that anytime we had an alternate universe episode and it gets destroyed i mean because that happens quite often right in Mm -hmm. voyager episodes and next generation episodes and things like that Mm -hmm. we're always like oh well thank goodness our universe is the same (laughs) is saved so it is kind of cool reading these books knowing that this is, quote-unquote, our universe for the last 20 years mm-hmm. of Star Trek expanded media. But in reality, we're not the universe. It's really going to be the Picard and Discovery universe that's, that's the, real quote-unquote, real universe. I, I like that. Yeah. So all, all the lot. people we're following in these books are doomed. Uh, well, maybe some of them can make it. Uh, it's a story, so anything's <laughs> possible, but... All right, so 
I'm going to go ahead and jump into the synopsis then. The cover of the book matches up with book one. So book one showed like a uh, swirling purple-blue mass behind the Enterprise E. Book two has that same motif in the background. And we see Deep Space Nine up at the top and the USS Eveline at the bottom. I think I pronounced that right. Is that how you pronounce it? Eveline? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, once it came out of my mouth, I was like, that's not right. Aventine. Aventine, yes. All right, let me do that again. So below Deep Space Nine, we see the USS Aventine, which was Captain Dax's ship in the last book. Yeah, but she she unfortunately did not make it through the first book. She was the first big major casualty as far as established on-screen characters go. And a uh, little hint, she's not the last. The book's broken out into three parts, so I broke the synopsis out into three parts as well. The first part is called Escape. And basically, after the funerals of the Starfleet crew that were lost in the first book, Picard and Wesley return to Earth to provide the Federation of the Quantum Dimension Destroyers that are on their way. Though the tone is grim, there is a nice moment where Wesley tells Tom Paris that he looks very familiar, to which Paris just shrugs it off and says, I guess I have one of those faces. But once the council is in session, they are very, very hard to convince that the threat... They, they agree that the threat is real, but they don't really want to do anything about it until they know more. Federation and Starfleet do not authorize Picard to take any action, despite all of the events in the first book. Plus, we do have a very close call by Captain Benjamin Sisko on the Robinson that was almost destroyed. And then we also know that the time planet of Boroth, which was a Klingon planet, has also been destroyed. Uh, This is the one that has the time crystals from Discovery and also was home to the uh, cloned Kalis, so we assume he's gone now as well. And Grand Chancellor Martok was on planet when they were attacked, so we assume that they too were also gone. So basically, that ends part one. So part two is called Revelations. So as within the last novel, Worf and Riker continue to have glimpses or dreams of alternate timelines. With Riker even channeling his alternate self from the Picard timeline in that sometimes he thinks he has two children when in the novel universe he only has one. Um, Seeing the lack of response from the higher-ups, Sisko and Picard create teams to investigate the fights themselves, unknowing that the other one's doing the same thing. So Sisko's creating a team of his own and Picard's creating his team. So Paris and Bolana are arrested performing a distraction move so that Picard is able to steal the Aventine and leave Earth. On Vulcan, Spock also senses that something's wrong, and he works with Savick to learn that someone out in the universe that he has previously mind-melded is calling out for help, whether they know it or not. Picard's team includes Worf, Wesley, Dr. Crusher, Alexander, Data, Lal, and the Aventine crew, and his daughter, Lol, and the entire crew of the Aventine. They are able to stay ahead of Admiral Riker, who is acting fanatically, uh, and that he's just his one goal is to stop Picard. Uh, Spock meets up with the Picard team, and he mind melds with Worf. 
and he says that uh, Worf was the mind that's been calling out to him. Once in the mind meld, they see that the shadowy visions that he's been plagued with are actually alternate versions of himself, Worf, uh, that have already been snuffed out by the Davidians and the other timelines. Uh, they suspect that Riker is being plagued by these visions as well, but not handling it as well, and that's why he's acting so bizarre. Meanwhile, Cisco's group is able to gather up O'Brien, Nog, Brashear, and Vedic Kira. And they are able to sneak onto the new Deep Space Nine thanks to the help of Quark. But they end up getting captured by Odo and Captain Rowe. And Captain Rowe at this point is the captain of Deep Space Nine and also Quark's lover. So Data and Spock come Ookie. to... <laughs> you didn't like that? We'll talk later. All right. So Data and Spock come to the conclusion that the Bajoran wormhole needs to be destroyed in order to prevent any more Davidians from entering this universe. The Aventine arrives at Deep Space Nine just as the wormhole seems to explode with strange dark energy and the Davidian snakes enter this universe. They have come too late. Part three is called Eclipse. The Time Wraiths attack a planet in the Bajoran system. Everybody's trying to escape, including Jake and his wife, along with Keiko and her children. Nog's California-class ship arrives and is trying to help with the refugees and takes severe damage, which actually kills the captain. This makes Nog the new acting captain. Sisko and Kira separately have visions from the wormhole aliens that tell them the wormhole needs to be closed for good. The Avatine uses a triphasic pulse to try to kill the snakes and all the crew return to Deep Space Nine for a strategy session. It takes some convincing, but eventually everybody agrees that the only way to close the wormhole is to actually send Deep Space Nine into it and then self-destruct. The station is then abandoned, all except for Roe, Quark, Kira, and O'Brien. And then also there are a few devotees to the prophets that refuse to leave the station, even though they are told that they're about to go into the wormhole and, and explode. Meanwhile, as if they are aware of the plan, a new wave of Davidian snakes arrive to Deep Space Nine to do battle. Nog sacrifices himself and detonates his ship in order to kill a few of the Davidian creatures. Roe and Quark are attacked by some small ones inside of Deep Space Nine, and they start to age, but before they turn into dust, they set off some grenades that destroys them and a good number of the snakes. Also, O'Brien dies sealing ops from a hole breach so that he can stay aboard ops to make sure that the station detonates when it needs to. And out of that group, only Kira escapes the station, but before she leaves, she's given another vision from a prophet, and the prophet gives her an orb and says there's no time for them and to keep it safe. The station does detonate, the wormhole closes, and as all the dust is settling uh, and everybody regroups back together, Brashear makes a suggestion that perhaps they can hide from this fanatical Riker in the Mirror Universe. To be concluded. 
Again, mm. that is like a thousand feet high synopsis of, of a full novel. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it was a synopsis, big time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Very high level. you know, you got to balance it. Right. So, what'd you think of this one compared to the first one? I kind of like the first one because I didn't know exactly what the threat was. So in the first one, they figure out it's the Davidians. Uh, so at the beginning, it was, in the first one, it's like Wesley's trying to figure out what's going on because he's really your, your main guy you're following. Right. Trying to figure out what's going on. So I kind of like that. And now that I know who it is, now this one is like, let's get Cisco and company, Deep Space Nine team more engaged. Cool. Like that. And they do do a lot. Oh, um, right. I mean, there, there are a lot of the action uh, is, is Deep Space Nine-centric. Uh, and it was just a question of um, kind of moving people around and, like they say in the, in the afterward, you know, making sure certain things happen to tee things up for the uh, finale, the third book. Right. So uh, I, I do like it. I did not like seeing Nog die, but it was like, okay, okay, mm, um, it's bad. serious. It's but, real now. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and I, unlike Donovan, I did start reading uh, the third book. And um, I mean, when it really strikes me reading the third book, what's really going on here? So we're not going to talk about what's really going on here, but the body count is going to go up in the, <laughs> in the third book by a lot. So uh, get mm. used to it. Well, I enjoyed both books immensely. Yeah. Although I will say that first part, basically part one of this book, I did not like. So I was really like, oh my goodness, this book is, it's all just going to be Picard trying to talk to the Federation. Like, can I help now? We need to help. And it was just like, (laughs) as he's like begging the Federation to do something, then it'll cut to, you know, Borath being destroyed. Yep. And then it'll cut back to Picard. Oh, can I help now? Well, you know, and it's just like, oh my goodness. this is Okay. Is this so, going to be the whole book? Yeah. And, I mean, then, and then once part two starts, then it's just like, oh my goodness, it's so good. <laughs> That's when it, like, <laughs> to me, just ramped up to 11. It's been a little while since I've read this. It's been a few weeks. <laughs> but, I mean, didn't, isn't the whole Cisco thing, didn't that happen pretty much at the beginning? Yeah, that's, an, that's, that's one okay. of the cutaways uh, in, in, during part one. Okay, okay. So when you first started saying you didn't like the first part, it was like, oh, well, that was the Cisco part. Like, right, okay. right. Well, I mean, but it, but okay. it was it was kind of so it, it's the Wesley the part. It, it's the it's the Picard and Wesley trying to get the Federation to do something. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and, I, I agree and, with that. I agree. And Riker acting all weird and like, yeah. Good. And it almost seems like, well, why would they do that? I mean, it's just an obvious, clear, and present danger. And then Riker keeps going crazy. I mean, uh, he just is just totally manic and stuff. And then. Quite frankly, when I get into the third book, then I really understand what's going on in Riker's head and what he's doing and, and more of his motivation rather than just being crazy. Right. And really yeah. the Worf's issues that he gets past with Spock's aid, that really helps explain what's also going on with Riker. So. Right. Yeah, no, I really loved Spock. I was not expecting him to show up in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, me neither. And and they do give him a fair amount to do. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. yeah he's, he's he's an important part of this. And now Savick's not in it very much, which which made me kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. She's just well, there on Vulcan, like, hey, maybe maybe uh, 
you know, how are you going to be able to find out who's asking for help? And he's like, well, it's somebody I've mind melded with. And then I'm thinking, you've mind melded with a lot of people. <laughs> well, if you're a Savic fan, just be patient. Okay. There is a third book. A little, little spoiler, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but again, because there's so many different continuities in the books, this book really clearly points out that uh, they've never been more than just friends. Uh, so that means that that whole um, him them being married, him them being married, and Vulcan the novels, the Vulcan heart, and things like that, uh, yeah, are, are not canon to this this continuity, right? But yeah, okay, but. I mean, the reason you even see Spock, well, okay, well, you never know what's going to happen in, in the TV series and, and whatever movies they come out with. Who knows what they're going to do? But, I mean, a lot of the Picard stuff is going to be far enough in the future you're not going to see Spock. Right. Well, because, you know, being that if the destruction of Romulus is the same destruction of Romulus in the Kelvin universe, then yeah. we have to assume that Spock dies at that moment but the novel universe never had that had right. that event right which i always thought that's ultimately yeah, what they're going to build up to in the novels but looks like they're not going to do that okay so the jj verse is not a, <clears throat> the jj verse is a spur right right so a lot of what happens to the jj verse is not going to be in the picard you know, Discovery, uh, Paramount Plus universe. Right? Right. I mean, you have the original event with Romulus blowing up. So right. that, that happened. So that's cool. Okay. Okay. Just trying but to keep I all assume... the continuity straight. Right, right, right. But I'm assuming that in the new Prime universe, the, yeah. the CBS Plus universe, okay. when Romulus is destroyed, that's when Spock goes back in time and creates the new timeline, the Kelvin timeline. Right, so, I'm so he should not be Spock around. Will never show up again exactly. in Picard. I agree because the, the the Romulus has already been destroyed, and that's when he dies too. Right, from their point of view. Exactly. Right. So that was part of my point. Right. We're not right. probably not going to see Spock. <laughs> right. Going forward. So it's great but, seeing him here. Yeah, absolutely. It was so I was so happy. Yeah. It was it was an unexpected treat for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, and then I, I have kind of followed the Next Generation books, but I have not followed the Deep Space Nine books at all. So learning that Quark and Roe were an item, oh. that, that was news to me. That was totally news to me, too. And then the, I, I mean, the idea, I mean, I didn't know that Cisco, I mean, last time I saw Cisco, he was going back into the, the wormhole alien things, the prophets. Right. That's the last thing I saw of him. I mean, the idea that he came back eventually and then becomes you know, captain of the Robinson, I had no clue about any of that stuff. Right. Yeah, I knew that he came back only from, like, book covers and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the book cover has him coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, oh, he comes back. Oh, well, that makes sense. It's not like he was dead. It's just that no. he went off with the wormhole aliens. Yeah, he didn't have to stay there forever. But as far as his, like, having a Galaxy-class ship and stuff like that, that was all – that was news to me, too. But Right. Uh, and, and I knew at, at some point Ro Lauren was the captain of the ship, but I just never – or the station. The space Nine. But I just didn't know that she and Quark were lovers. So, my God. That's forced. I'm sorry. I mean, it's nice to see Quark get a girlfriend, but come on. Ro's pretty cute. Uh, so was uh, Rom's wife. 
Well, Dabo Girl. Yeah. Right. Well, Lita. And by the way, there's some mention of Lita. There's some references to Lita in the next book. Right. Okay. I, I, I love how they get all the characters in there in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they don't actually physically show up, but they even call them out in the stories. So that's cool. Now, speaking of Rom, they do kind of mention something about like when Nog's dying, he kind of thinks about his, his father for a minute or two right before mm-hmm. he dies, um, which got me thinking, where is Rom in this universe? I mean, I, I, I don't do know. Has know. he has he died at, I, at some point? Because he may, never shows up. I, no, and he doesn't show up in the next one either, um, so. at least physically. I don't. I don't think they mention him. I don't think I've heard his name so far, but maybe they did and I forgot. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna guarantee. I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say they absolutely never did, but I don't recall him even mentioning his name. Right. I may go back and read some of those Deep Space Nine books to see right. if. I mean, because the original Deep Space Nine is destroyed. I did mention mm-hmm. that in the synopsis that this is a new Deep Space Nine. Uh, that's you know, more modern and things yep. like that because the original one was destroyed during some event. So me trying to piece things together, I'm like, I guess maybe that's where Rom died. I don't know. I'll have to go back and read those. Oh, no, that's possible. Um, and speaking of Deep Space Nine 2, which is what we see here, um, it's, a, it's a Starfleet space station. And Quark has a little rant about that. Right. You know, about every bring in Starfleet and everything starts getting rounded before you have, you know it. You got a whole bunch of round things. So it's like, okay, that, that's funny. But I, then I was just thinking like, well, does it, I mean, so it looks totally different on the outside too then. No, they, they said that it still looks like Deep Space Nine. Oh, from the outside. The, yeah, from the outside. But the okay. interior is all new. Oh, it's well, all why'd they bother? Federation. I mean, yeah, why? Okay. Got to sell the books. Well, okay, okay. So sell a book with just you know one of those Federation top looking things that always looked like a a dreidel or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's Deep Space Nine now. Okay. Well, with marketing considerations in mind, fine. But I mean, if you think of this as or try to take the story seriously, it's like, (laughs) why the devil would you make it look like Tarek Nor again? Right. And then, or if you did, ooh, uh, it, just make, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, at least makes some sense that the interiors is, is more Starfleet systems and things. Probably more dependable, too. But why bot? Uh, whatever. Move on. Right. Right. When I first heard that Cisco, with that Robinson was a Galaxy-class ship, right. it was like, oh, cool. He's got, Cisco's got his own Galaxy-class ship. And it's the D. And it's, uh, uh, you know, Enterprise D-like galaxy class. And right. it's like, first thing was like, oh, man, what's he, what's he got an old one like that for? Why doesn't he get a Sovereign class ship or something like that, like Enterprise E? Right. But then it was like, well, that's still an awesome ship. And the Excelsior was around in TNG time, so, yeah, they're yeah. still making galaxy class ships. Yeah, of course. Why not? Didn't um, Calhoun, wasn't Excalibur a galaxy class ship? First, he had Enterprise C. Right, it, it was an ambassador. class. It's an ship. ambassador class, and then I don't remember what happened to the to that one. But then he ends up with a Galaxy class, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, hopefully they're still 
flying around even even in Picard's time. I hope to see a, a Galaxy class show up there. Oh. <laughs> well, yes, perhaps. Yeah, my wife and I are always arguing as to what's the best looking Enterprise, and I can e, never, that's I can obvious. never, I can never change her mind. It's she thinks that the D is the most beautiful ship ever. <laughs> I'm just like, it's too round. It's too, <laughs> it's too Curvy. squatty. I don't know. I, I really like the long nacelles and stuff. So for me, it's the Enterprise A and the Enterprise E. Just those are beautiful. Oh, okay, okay. Rocking it old school with the uh, movie Taz crew. Okay. Yeah, I like the A a lot too, but you know, E. It's E. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, I said. Now, now, it's E as far as on video, you know? Right. But um, F. Enterprise F is really cool from Enterprise Online or Star Trek Online. So if they actually showed one of those in Picard this coming season, oh, I'll have a hard time. I, I, I may change my vote. Yeah. I keep waiting I, for them to show an Enterprise in the uh, future with with Discovery. I mean, we've seen the new oh, Voyager. But oh, we, yeah, good point. But I keep wanting to see what, what the Enterprise looks like. I don't like those. I don't like any of those ships. Not a fan either. No. I I really think they're dropping the ball on on what the aesthetic of the future looks yeah. like, <laughs> uh, and I know they got to make it look different, but but I didn't know. like the J either. The J is so ugly. Voyager J, yeah. No, the oh Enterprise, Enterprise J? J, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Did you? I mean, did we say this before? Uh, Enterprise J, that's an old design. Enterprise J is what they were going to use, or something like Enterprise J is what they were going to use at one point, um, I think, for the Excelsior class or something. And they decided no. Oh, really? So it goes all the way back to Star Trek Three. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So that was what, this was a, uh, one of the early uh, concept, uh, concepts for, for that. And they, and they said, nah, 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 too whacked. Let's, let's do something a little closer <laughs> to what we got. I never liked the Excelsior either, but I'm glad I like the Excelsior better than that one. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not like the Excelsior look. I like, uh, I think the flares they put on the secondary hull for the Enterprise B. I right. think that makes it look better. Mm. My my personal opinion. But. Okay. All right. Our next ship 101. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Borath. Okay. Borath. Shoot. So did you recognize it from the uh, Discovery episode where... Uh, well, as soon as they started talking about the time crystals, that's when I, I recognized it. I did not recognize it by the name. Right. So I was oh. all excited that they're referencing Discovery mm-hmm. uh, because in the episode of TNG, when the clone Kalis shows up, um, they're on Borath, you know, but nobody talks about time crystals. <laughs> you know, that would, I mean, the, that whole like monastery that's on there and how the planet's like, you know, closed off during the Discovery episodes. None of that is mentioned in TNG when they're just hanging out in Borat, waiting for a uh, a vision from Kalis, and then he ends up showing up himself. Because uh, I did go back and rewatch that episode just like, man, did they mention it? And I don't remember. Mm. They, they don't. No. So that was a retcon in Discovery that, uh, that James Swallow here runs with. 
That's well, just maybe, the throwaway line, which I love. Well, maybe the time crystals just never came up before until the discovery. In the past. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, if you think about it, if that, if that monastery is there, then I guess that would be a good planet for Kalis to show up and why all these pilgrims like Worf go there to mm-hmm. try to get a vision. So in hindsight, it does work, even though they never mentioned time crystals until <sighs> – Later. Well, they didn't need time crystals until then. <laughs> but they're taking advantage of it here. So the idea that the uh, the temporal shenanigans going on at Borath would attract the Nagas, um, right. I mean, that makes sense. No, nope, so, makes total sense. Yeah. yeah, I just hated that Martok and the clone Kalis both, both seemed to bite it there. Yeah. And how that doesn't well, sway the Federation at all. Well, not only that, what about Captain Clagg? Remind me who he is? I mean, I, I do remember <laughs> reading his name, but I, I was like, I don't, that name doesn't ring any bells. Well, Clagg did, but I wasn't sure, so I went ahead and did a search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as soon as I saw the photo of Clagg, who, by the way, was like, like, like Lieutenant Clagg, uh, it was like, oh, okay, I know who that is. So, um... He was only like a lieutenant or something when we saw him in TNG. But apparently as time went on, eventually he became a captain. Okay. Anyway, you'd have to see the picture. I mean, this actor has been in tons of different things. And if you saw the picture of him in his Klingon makeup, you would would recognize him right away. Okay. All right. Cool. Now, I assumed he was somebody because they kept mentioning his name. Exactly. When he was was fighting with Martok. But I was just like, eh, just a Klingon. Yeah, just a cling. <laughs> well, I was interested, so there you go. Who is that? Who is that? So. Well, speaking of actors who played other characters, um, I loved the, the Tom Perry oh. cadet, uh, Nicholas Lacarno, whatever his name oh, was. Oh, was that, his, was that the other character's name? Uh, yeah. So that was the doofus in, uh, what was that? Uh, a squadron or something at Starfleet Red Squadron Academy. Oh, was it Red yeah. Squadron? There you go. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so that's the one where Res- we followed Wesley in his days at the Academy, and he messed up under the leadership of uh, Duncan play Dun- McNeil. Uh, McNeil. Yeah, isn't it? Ah, it's something like some Irish name. Anyway. Uh, so the actor playing um, a different character. Right. Uh, right. Who acts just like Paris. I mean, so, <laughs> he, and, he is and, Paris. And at the end of that episode, he gets in trouble. And then the first time we see Paris, he's he's on a little prison colony. So it's just like, oh, it could be the same guy. So I know that well, that's been like a fan fiction for a long time, that it is the same person. He changed his name or whatever. Well, you, you know the background of that, right? Yeah, um, we've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah, we? we've talked. Okay, about yeah. But anyways, how, so I like it is name. the same character. It's just they had to change the name to avoid paying royalties or whatever. Right, but now we know it's not the same character because <sighs> Paris, Paris and okay, Lucarno just have one of those faces. Fine, fine. <laughs> I do like how they. I, I agree. Oh, I loved it. I was. I was. I like how they call that out. That was good. I was sorry to see uh, Nog. And the Satakoi 
uh, bite the big one and uh, get taken out. But if you only if you got if you got no secondary hull or a little tiny secondary hull, I mean, how are you gonna be able to fight? Come on. Right. California class ships. I don't know. I was curious. Is uh, so the California class ship was made up for lower decks, right? So it was. And uh, I thought it was cool that they that that snog ship. Right. So I'm really really wondering: is there other books where they tried to bring that in into the novel universe before they decided to scrap the whole thing? If not. Yeah, or even if they did or if they didn't, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, this was this was completely a way for them to get a lower decks thing in here. Right. And get, get, come get, on. get a little ad. Get, get a little ad for lower decks. Yeah. And the thing about it is like, okay, yeah, of course that'll be the ship that Nog's captain of. The... Temporary, yeah, short, a short duration as captain. Yeah, but even if he wasn't, I mean, he's... You know, it's just funny that you know in lower decks they all all the Federation kind of looks down on the California class ships, uh-huh. and of course that would be the one that Nog would have that to. That Nog has right. He never gets the respect <laughs> he deserves. No respect, no respect at all. But uh, but no, I thought that was great. I know that they have tried to bring in other Discovery stuff uh, into this novel universe. Mm-hmm. You know, back before they knew that they were going to have to restart. Because they're and they do mention it in this book about control, right? Um, yep. And Brashear, when he was working for Agent uh, Section Thirty One, right. had to deal with control. And, and there's a there's a Section Thirty One book called Control with, with Bashir in it. So yep. um, they have done that in the past, where they they tried to tried to merge the two universes before they before well, Picard came out and nixed all of it. Right now, trivia, and I don't know the answer to this, but I. I thought the novel that involved control came first, and they used it in Discovery. But I could be wrong. Oh, really? So which one came first? I don't know. Because that's that's completely the the thread, right? Because it was Section Thirty One with an uh, the AI called Control, which is like the thing that was directing the activities of um, Section Thirty One to some degree in the novel that that Bashir exposed and, and took down Section 31. Um, yeah, the novel came out in those? 2017. Well, that's before... That's before the season of Discovery. Because that was season one or season two? That was... There was at least two. That was not... An, I don't... I'm pretty sure that's not season one. Hmm. Yeah, because that was post... Uh, yeah, because that, that post was after the... the... War? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. Huh. I always so, assumed this came out later. I never looked at the dates before. Yeah, I, neither did I. But I, I just, I guess, I just assumed the opposite that it was in the books, and then, then they, then they, they used that in Discovery. But interesting. Yeah. But see, that's why there needs to be two of us to call the other one on their BS. Well, not BS. Just <laughs> misunderstandings. I mean, we, we, it, yeah, I mean, we, we're interpreting some of these things. There's lots of stuff going on, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, in in this book, and it's calling back to all kinds of things. It's just amazing, uh, and keeping it all straight. We haven't read. I mean, nobody could read all these things. Oh, there's people out there. Oh, probably. I used to be one of them, but then I fell uh, off the wagon. Life, then life inserted themselves. Fatherhood, marriage. <laughs> it definitely has put a damper on things. <laughs> Damn it. 
Anyways, wow. Okay. Good point. Could I mention one of the things I really, one of the things in in this book that I really enjoyed? Mm-hmm. Okay. So after they took out Deep Space Nine and uh, had the big fight with the Nagas, you know, so Aventine versus the Nagas, the Defiant versus the Nagas, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Aventine is pretty crippled. Uh, it ain't going nowhere fast. And then Riker shows up, of course, and then demands that Captain uh, Bowers, you know, beam over Picard right away. Right. And he's not going to take no for an answer, darn it. So I thought that was quite a pickle that they were in. And I really didn't, I didn't see a way for them to get out of it. And then I really like how they got out of it. <laughs> well, they haven't got out of it as of this book. They're still in it. Just Bashir, I mean, literally it ends with Bashir saying, well, we should maybe go to the, to the other side of the looking glass. That's that's the last thing that happens here. So I'm assuming that. Okay, you're right, I guess. That okay, so so this must be. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. I shouldn't have read ahead. <laughs> well, I I thought it happened in this one. It doesn't. Uh, okay. Okay, I will save my comments for the next book then. <laughs> but in regards to that that whole thing, when mm-hmm. the the Aventines all crippled and. And the Defiance, you know, you don't even know if the Defiant made it or anything like that. Yeah, it's uh, MIA. Well, are you talking about them beaming, beaming Picard over, or yeah? That's okay, what I'm okay, about. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That part happened. Go ahead. Oh, okay. But that's before Brashear. That's before they go to the. All right, go ahead. You had me second guessing myself. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. Okay. My bad. Go ahead. Tell tell me what you think. Okay, I loved it. Because I did not know how they were going to get out of this. And then when Picard shows up on the Titan in the transporter pad, there's a little back and forth between Riker and Picard. And as soon as Picard says, justice rises above such things. And it's like, justice? Justice? You know, so, I mean, basically, Riker was being a whiny little boy, whatever. Right. You know. And then, and then in response, Picard says that. And it's like, justice. Oh, that's <laughs> Odo. So yes, very cool. They were, basically, Odo is the one that ends up transported onto the Titan. Right. And, of course, we know that gave Picard the chance to get onto the Defiant. And then everybody got away on Defiant since, uh, basically, Aventine was, was hosed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that was happening during that big battle that I didn't mm-hmm. mention was that in addition to Cisco and Worf being on the Defiant, there was a bunch of runabouts flying around mm-hmm. uh, that Wesley. were all piloted by Wesley. His, different uh, he, versions. He went to different universes to grab himself, which I thought was funny. And I guess all of them died but one. But I mean, and they just did that here in this book and they, they never mentioned it again. <laughs> so the idea of there being of Wesley going out and getting other parallel dimension Wesleys to come in and help out, that makes so much sense. I mean, why does it, he should be doing that all the time. Right. I mean, you know, okay, so, so you lost some here on, on those runabouts. Uh, you go, go get in some war, get some war. <laughs> anyway. Right. I just watched uh, Parallels last night, the, 
TNG oh. episode. Is that the one where Worf is jumping yeah, between? Yeah, and then it ends with uh, all those other Enterprises coming right. from different universes. And then that got me thinking while I was watching, and I was like, they should have just gone and got all these Enterprises uh-huh. into that big battle and could have could have exactly. stopped them. Kick some butt. But, I mean, how many of those Enterprises even exist anymore? They've already been snipped. We have seen many dimensions snipped. Exactly. Okay, so James Swallow's afterward directly talks about beloved characters being killed off. And he actually compares it to a 70s disaster movie where you don't know who's going to be killed off next. I really like that. And it reminds me of Game of Thrones, which, you know, killed characters off all the time. You never know who. Right. Um, You know, chopping off Eddard Stark's head and Hodor and other characters like that. So I thought all that was cool. Now, you brought up another comparison. Uh, which one, like DC well, Comics? Yes, the DC Comics one. Yeah, so in the 80s, there was tons of alternate universes of DC Comics. So we had old Superman on Earth-1, a younger Superman on Earth-Prime. You know, there was all these other Earths that had different Superman, that had different Batman, that some universes didn't have either. Like, you know, the there was... Um, like Shazam's universe, it was its own thing. You know, sometimes he would cross over, but other times he was on Earth S. You know, it was just like all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then, so in the 80s, they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths mm-hmm. where they combined them all. Mm-hmm. So at, at the end of that big crisis, there was one universe. So Shazam was always part of this universe, even though he used to not be. And like, um, in one universe, Supergirl was Power Girl, right? But she was still. Mm-hmm. She was still Kara Zor-El. She was still Superman's cousin and all this stuff. But when they did the the combine, they wanted to keep Power Girl, but they didn't want to make her his cousin anymore because they had a Supergirl. So they were like, right. uh, just give her a different origin. So they had, you know, she had to have a whole different origin uh, as to where she came from and things like that. So reading this, it really got me thinking that this is basically that, where they're taking all those different universes and, and by the end they're going to have quote-unquote, the Prime Universe, which which I'm assuming is just going to be the CBS Plus Universe. Right. There's more going on that is clarified in the third book, but because we haven't got there yet, I'm not going to talk about it. I can't, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, a very important thing is going on here. was not clear to me until the third book. Right. Mm. So. Well, I am curious. Yes, there you go. So the big things that I think is going on, again, I haven't read the book, so I don't know. Or at least how I think it's all going to end. The third book. Yeah. yeah. How I think the third book's going to end is we'll have the Prime Universe, the CBS Plus, Paramount Plus Universe. Mm-hmm. Assuming the Kelvin Universe will still exist, even though they may or may not mention it at all. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Mirror Universe will still exist. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to go back to Mirror Universe. Right, right. And saying that, I mean, in the newer episodes of Discovery, they mention alternate universes, and they actually point out that Book says something about the Mirror Universe, and and, and then the guys, look, and then the, they're like, you think that's the only alternate universe out there? And I'm like, you can't say that in the show at the same time you're killing off the universe in the books. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so 
Yeah, I, so I, I mean, obviously they're not going to destroy all the universes, so right. maybe they'll leave it open-ended that this universe might not have to die. I don't know. I am very curious to see how it ends. Yes. Yeah, the only thing we know for sure is they're resetting continuity being in line with uh, Paramount+. Plus. I guess they could do it a couple different ways. Right. But I know how they're doing it, so I'm not going to say. <laughs> what I hope they're not doing is uh, going to bring in, uh, what was his name from the 30s or whatever that was Benjamin Sisko's writer character in, in those episodes. Right. What, Benny? Um, Benny, Benny yeah, Benny. Yeah, I'm really hoping that that's not the case, especially because in the third book, it looks like some of the picture starts turning into blueprints and stuff as if it was something that was being written. So mm. I kind of hope that they don't go meta and be like, oh, this this whole universe was just written by Benny, you know, or something like that. I, or or I would be very disappointed also. I would be quite disappointed. Right. But the but the whole blueprint thing, I think, might be a hint that that might be where they're going to go. I'm hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, and that it's not just somebody like, hey, wouldn't well, this have been could, cool if this happened? Well, is the blueprint thing also representing the disassembly of these uh, of these dimensions? I don't know. Yeah. Why I would it, it break, could, break I guess down it could the represent the a couple things. Drawings. Yeah. Yeah, no, it could go anywhere. All right, well, I'll have to... <laughs> now I'm really curious as to what you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I couldn't wait. And I'm only halfway through, so I have not gotten to the end. Mm. Okay. But as per usual... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. But, uh, and, and I, I haven't got to the end, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on now from what they've explained in the, first, in the third book. All right. Um, so can I just mention one brief little thing which just bugs me? Sure. But it's a small thing, and you know, it, it definitely comes under the heading of just go with it. Okay, so when Cisco defeats the... Uh, the Davidians Nagas at the beginning of the book mm-hmm. with an anti-tachyon torpedo. And it was an anti-tachyon torpedo. I thought that was weird because I thought the whole thing is that the Davidians fed on neural energies and I, and I didn't know that a, a tachyon-oriented warhead would, would take out these things, but whatever. I mean, but that's really not the, the, the thing I'm a little weird about. I mean... They're in the middle of almost being destroyed. And from the bridge, from the tactical station, Cisco's able to switch out the warhead from the anti the matter antimatter warhead in the torpedo and swap in an anti-tachyon warhead. And I'm sorry, do they have those just laying around? I mean <laughs> I mean, that seems like the kind of thing that, oh, uh, Geordi and and Data would have to work on in in a typical TNG episode. We'll we'll, we'll need eight hours. Or Scotty. Yeah, many characters. But, you know, uh, it'll take us eight hours to put together a package like that, Captain. Make it four. I was like, okay, great. But uh, Cisco does it in like a few minutes. From the bridge. From the bridge, exactly. 
So yeah, maybe maybe the Defiant has uh, replicator technology now, where <laughs> they just replicate the missiles as needed. Okay. Well, okay. So this is uh, this is the Robinson. It, okay. Well, that's what I, then I meant the Robinson, obviously. <laughs> Exactly, right, right. Well, I'm just but, saying... But by this point in time, Starfleet technology. Yeah, yes. so, so, so they just replicate the torpedo as needed. And you can have well, any warhead you want on it. Well, the idea of being able to swap out warheads makes sense, sure. But, you know, the matter-antimatter warhead is the typical one. At least in a in a photon torpedo. I'm, I'm still a, a kind of unclear on quantum torpedoes, but whatever. But an anti-tachyon warhead package? I, okay, fine. Right. I, 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 I'm just too picky. It's got to go on. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah, one of the nitpicks I, I think is funny is that in this continuity, every ship has holographic projectors. So all communications are done mm. via hologram like on Discovery. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was that one episode of, of Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine yeah. that had it, but yeah, you never it, saw it again. Like an admiral was holographed into onto the yeah, he was bridge or something, joining the Maquis or something, and 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 uh, once his face was tracking him down. Yeah, I think they just wanted to have that face to face confrontation instead of talking to his view screen, but uh, right. And also yeah, just bring on new technology or something. Hey, here's the new gadget in the future. Yeah, I can't remember the in-story reason as to why they don't use it again. Or <laughs> if there was one. I don't think there was. Kind of like that Romulan that was supposed to be on the Defiant at all times because of the Kittermer Accords. Oh, and right. That, that was the concession that they could have Cloak as long as this Romulan was on board all the time, and she's in it for like three episodes, and then, God, without God. ever Let's forget her. about her, shall we? <laughs> well, the whole idea of the Kittimer Accord, where you would go in and have an Accord that would say, hmm, Starfleet doesn't get to use cloaking technology, even though they have it now. But, yeah, it's fine for the Romulans, too. That makes no sense in the world. Absolutely not. Hey, if we if if Starfleet has to stop using it, you guys have to stop using it too. But whatever, you gotta do what you gotta do to make the you know make the stories more interesting. Right. Okay. What else you got? That's it. That, that's it. <laughs> you have more? Uh, let me see. Do I? Um, no, I guess not. I mean, we we hit the major points. My major observations your major observations no um, yeah one of the one of the things i do think is nice how it all like wraps up mm-hmm. is the whole idea of the nagas mm-hmm. being yeah. time snake wraith looking things mm-hmm. which fits with the davidians when we saw time's arrow they were also you know his staff was a snake and you know there was all that snake imagery there but mm-hmm. then also the wraiths in the Deep Space Nine episodes, you know, when uh, the Paul rates were coming out, they were also snake-like. So it's kind of cool that they weren't supposed to be the same thing, but here in this book, it's kind of like the Bajorans are seeing these Nagas as time rates, the, mm. the you know, 
Picard and them are seeing them as Davidian creatures. You know, it was just kind of cool. It's like, oh, maybe they always were the same thing, and we just didn't know it at the time. Hmm. No, like no. some uh, a bit of connection there. Yeah, some uh, fortuitous retconning without the maybe either either writer knowing about it. But these writers are like, hey, we can we can put these things together. I, I I always like it when novelists and stuff can do that kind of stuff. Right. All right. Yeah. Another thing they said about usage of. I think this was also part of the afterword that they mentioned something about when they put this book together, they wanted to have like a grand tale, you know, you know, almost like mythological mythology kind of grand tale, the Odyssey, whatever. They didn't call out the Odyssey. I, I did. But I, th- I think he was talking about like maybe maybe the usage of the serpents kind of thing. And, and maybe that's some of the stuff he was talking about, like more fantastical mythological kind of uh ideas because definitely we're used to ships right (laughs) ships fighting ships not you know huge outer space serpents that can phase in and out of our dimensional space or whatever right yeah so maybe that's an element of the mythology thing right yeah and not to just keep bringing up star wars but um in the novels set after Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. like 20 years later, the galaxy was invaded by this uh, external force called the Yuzhong Vong. Hmm. And instead of using technology like, like we're used to, they mm-hmm. used biological technology. So hmm. they had, you know, their ships were actually living creatures there. Uh, instead of lightsabers, they had these um, staffs that were actually snakes uh, that they would that were still hard so that they could fight with lightsabers and stuff like that and and everything was everything was more biological than it is technological which hmm. when I was reading this and they were talking about the nagas I was really getting a Yu Zhang Vong vibe hmm. cool but uh, but again maybe it's because they too were trying to be you know allude to those big epics from from long ago that often dealt with snakes sure anyways it's good stuff looking forward to seeing how it ends yes Uh, this definitely is a big story big 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 story lots of characters big things important things happening cross-dimensional ruin wow this is a big story and i do like that uh it's gotten me back into reading some of the star trek novels that i missed out on so Mm. Mm-hmm. Just since we've oh, been right. reading, just yeah, since many... we've been reading these, I've been going back and I've, I've read two or three that just always been sitting there on the shelf. <laughs> that, that they uh, mentioned in the in these uh, in these books. Uh, yeah, one of them, like the headlong flight, but okay. uh, um, but other ones that just like have to do with post nemesis stuff that mm-hmm. I just never got around to. So I am very happy that we're doing this now, and it's gotten me back into reading those old books. And hopefully other people are, are in the same boat where they might have fallen off the wagon, but they're back on. <laughs> well, it's more of an investment reading a whole novel, uh, but I'm glad we're doing this because these, this, is, this, this is a really important trilogy for anybody who likes Star Trek. Right. And it's really good books. This is great. Loving it. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, we are pretty much caught up with comics, so mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did we already mention your audit? 
Uh, no. We'll Online? mention that <laughs> when we go back and read some of the books we missed. Okay. <laughs> well, Donovan did an audit, everybody. <laughs> so we might have a few little gaps we need to catch up on. So stick around for the surprise episode 358. Ah, that's right. So once we're done with this, we might have a little catching up to do. Right. Okay. All right. Anything else? That's it. For Ashes of Tomorrow? That's it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next episode for uh, book three of CODA. Uh, What's it called? Oblivion's Gate. Oblivion's Gate. See the thrill-packed ending. How did how does this all resolve? How do all of our heroes get saved? Or not? Or not? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm scared about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the